Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Any snow yet, Doug? We get lots of snow. Yeah, are you getting it right now? Am I getting it right now? No. I think it's raining right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we're in the middle of getting a bunch of snow. It sucks. We got it all, like last night today and then it started raining in the afternoon i assume it's all going to freeze when it gets colder at night yeah maybe so it, i don't know <sighs> let me let me check the weather goat <laughs> i love that goat <laughs> that's the only time i swear he says that. I, I don't think that's true, but that's fine. My word is my bond. I don't believe you, just so we're clear. <laughs> believe what you want. Are you getting snow, Noah? Yeah, it's been snowing for like two days. Yeah, me too. I just figured I'd see if it was just me, if I'm just the one that's lucky enough. Because Jesus Christ, I fucking hate snow. Yeah, yesterday it didn't stick, but today was that big, fluffy-ass snow. Yeah. No good. These next couple of months are just going to be pretty rough. Just part of living in the northern part of this continent. Indeed. Don't worry. Maybe we can, maybe we can swap with one of the equator places. Just, just pull a swap. So I'm saying, be like, you guys can have like the northern half of Illinois and Minnesota and Wisconsin, and we get like Guadalajara. (laughs) Years ago, there was like, I don't know, internet chatter about Cuba becoming part of Canada. That would be entertaining me a weird fucking thing to happen. Would it? It's probably all Americans who just think that, you know, hey, you're both commies. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, does Canada have a very close relationship with Cuba? Uh, Compared to most places, yeah. That's that's real fucking weird. Cuba's economy is heavily based on Canadian tourists who get on planes here and fly like 10 feet out into the ocean all the way down past your country because we're not allowed to fly over it to get there. Yeah, I was going to say, that's real you guys fucking can funny. fly to Cuba, which some stupid reason we can't. No, we're not allowed. We're not even allowed to fly over your country to get to Cuba. <laughs> it's really funny. 
now if like Americans can go to Cuba, but it's this special exemption that requires it to be for educational purposes. Mm -hmm. So if, if an American goes on a Cuban vacation, you literally have to spend one entire day of basically sitting in a tour group of them walking around Cuba being like, this is why Cuba is good in America sucks. This is why Cuba is good in America sucks. And the worst part, I'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were starting to work on it, and then we elected somebody who's really stupid. So, that. True that. And then we got rid of him, and we fucking elected Old Man Winter. Yeah. It's cool. We make all sorts of great fucking decisions. I like how somehow this podcast becomes about us just bashing the U.S. regularly. And by us, I mean, not me. It's you two. <laughs> it's like, yes. It's because those damn red states. Mm-hmm. That's that's iffy. On whether we can count that as a transition. Do you want to try again, Brian? Uh, it's those damn... Uh, um, Christian, um, oh, fuck, what's the word? It's those damn Christian Fundamentalists. Uh, Fundamentalist was, say, was the word you were looking for. I was going to say extremists, but sure. And uh, people who love guns too much. It's their problem. That's such actually better. An, yeah, like if, you had, if you had done that properly, it would have been a, a better segue. Which is in our first movie tonight. <laughs> Uh, so Doug picked us some Kevin Smith horror. Usually I like to torture Noah, but I'll give him a pass this week. Doug, do you want to tell us about Red State? Uh, Red State is a movie about a fundamentalist Christian church, which is uh, abducting and killing people that they don't agree with. When they get crisscrossed with some uh, cops in the middle of it, they end up with the ATF basically doing a Waco-style raid on them. So the first half of the movie is these sicko fundamentalists making us hate them. And the second half is the ATF doing a, basically a, a murder raid on them, making us hate them. And in the middle of it, we have just amazing actors showing up and doing great things. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to make an entire movie where, you can't root for any fucking character or enjoy any second of the movie because it's all just yeah. miserable, true bullshit. Yeah, it's cool. Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith said cool. that that was the point. It's want like want to make a movie where he did not like any of the characters. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know what's great about movies? Escapism. What if we just don't do that? It's cool. It's cool. Your fundamental it's fucking joy. Yeah, it's it. It brings me such joy. Your fundamental inability to enjoy anything that doesn't fit in your narrow little window. My narrow window? (laughs) It's a weird fucking window, but it's a narrow window. I think I've got a fucking big-ass crazy window. Every time we ask you to watch something that's not one of your types of movies, we get this response of, like, I can't possibly enjoy anything on any level if it's not what I want immediately. You I don't start complaining what, about this movie five minutes in. What are you saying? This is legit with this with this particular movie. This is legit. What is it in this movie that brings you any type of joy? 
don't know, but lots of bad people who get shot. There's a little bit of. But they parts. get shot by bad people. There's that's it, it's okay. that's not attrition. Yeah, but they all shoot each other. It's great. Cool. Yeah, like, would you sit out on the street and watch a gang war and be like, that's really cool, all those people murdering each other? Not in real no, life, but in a movie, that's I real. absolutely would watch that. Right. Yeah. Well, but what I'm saying is that usually you find some excuse to give someone some redeeming quality. Well, the, the teenage characters at the beginning are essentially just slasher victims. They're not really See, are they? Because he goes way out of his way to turn them into entitled little gay bashing pricks at the beginning, too. Like, Are they? Yes. I don't, I don't explain that. The 35 gay jokes that they tell in the first fucking 10 minutes of the movie? They're teenage boy characters in a horror movie. I, I don't like... To me, they're just they're standard set-up slasher villains that or victims that you want them to be annoying enough that you can enjoy it when they die if that's what the filmmakers decide to do with them I don't, see, see but once again usually in a slasher you have one or two redeemable characters and maybe one or two that are bad kids but you know there's like normal level of bad but you don't do like they all can't be the jock kid that beats up the fat kid at the beginning of the movie but that you're rooting to die you know what I mean movie. None of them beat up a fat kid in this movie. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is they're all that character, though. They, they're they all intentionally made into these douchebags. They're mildly douchey, but... I'd say horny teenagers. Yeah. Horny teenagers are douchebags. They're, they're douchebags in the way that teenagers are douchebags to old people. And we are, in fact, old people, so they do come across as douchey to us. <laughs> if we were teenagers, we would probably want to hang out with those guys. I don't. I don't think I would. <laughs> I. I think even whenever I was a douchey teenager, I would have been like, "Ugh, those guys." Like, what did they do? That's so bad. Like, th- like I said, all of their dialogue in the first ten minutes. They literally do not have a line of dialogue that isn't something shitty. I don't think it's particularly shitty by teenage boy standards at all. I think, yeah, I suppose. And then, I mean, we so we transition from that to. The hostile-esque church thing, which is 90%, what's his face? The actor guy you guys like, that's a country singer or whatever. Which is, he's really the focus of this this week's episode more than Kevin Smith is. Yeah, which is fine, and he's a great actor, but his great acting is in a 20-minute long, non-stop, fundamental, God-hates-gay-people sermon. While hostile torturing people, which, despite the fact that I like gore movies, I do not enjoy horror movies that are straight up torture porn, which is is what, which it is 100% just hostile torture porn. Absolutely not. Absolutely. And then it trans, and then it transitions from that to John Goodman's character, who you think is going to be the redeeming person. And it turns out his most redeeming quality is that he won't murder a building full of women and children and people unless he has it in writing. That's his most redeemable quality, which, yeah. And then fucking, we don't even get catharsis at the end of the movie because fucking crazy Christian dude ends up in Guantanamo which means we there is no justice. Like, there is zero justice at the end of the movie in any way for anyone. The kids die. The, like, all the pseudo-innocent people die. The fucking, the douchebag cop that agrees to murder a 
building full of people gets promoted and the fucking one dude who you're like, oh, he, maybe he'll get some punishment instead gets punished in a way that renders it all useless entirely. Exactly. Yeah, that's or, not, everything what, you're saying. What, is what about that is enjoyable? It's not meant to be a comedy film. You understand that, right? Like the whole point of having I him watch get a lot up, of stuff that isn't comedies. The whole point of him getting up and giving that big, long religious speech and then doing terrible things is to show you how these extremely charismatic, well-spoken people can create these cults and can convince all these people to fall yeah, in but, line. Yeah, and but that's I what know, he's doing. But I already know. A, but I already know that's a thing because that's life. Yeah, but now you get to experience it on a movie where you won't experience it in real life. Yeah, where you're experiencing it in a way where it's like not actually causing anyone any harm. That's that's sometimes what movies are. Like not not all movies are meant to make you laugh. I don't I don't need to laugh. I need to enjoy it. I need to something about the movie you has to it, make me walk out of the movie going, "Ah, I watched that. Yay." And nothing about this movie does that. So you're just, you're not interested in film as art then at all. You're just interested in it as an amusement park ride. Well, no, because I've watched a bunch of avant-garde films that I really, really like. (laughs) And those aren't ha-ha or anything like that. But the joy in this film comes from appreciating the performances. From like, I mean, like we'll get into it after the, the filmmaking and the cinematography and all that's also fantastic. But you're appreciating the performances. You're appreciating the twists of like the right. But the performances of "I'm Singing in the Rain" are also fantastic. That doesn't make me want to watch it. <laughs> but why? You don't derive joy from sw- from singing. Singing is joyous. You're contradicting. It, it, no, it can be that particular <laughs> movie. I'm just not into. But this one, I don't know. Like I said, nothing, nothing. I did not. There was literally not one second of this entire fucking movie. I, I take that back. When the horns blow, I was like, oh, cool. There's going to be an interesting twist. Nope. Which I will uh, back you up on because originally there was supposed to be and he cut it. So basically, he pushed out and didn't didn't do the. Well, it was a budgetary thing. Well, sure. But still. Which I no, I'll give you the people you root for in this movie are the people using the speakers to fuck with the church because that's funny, right? Right, and they're off screen, <laughs> and they imply that they all go to jail for growing pot because <laughs> they can't even give you that. They can't even be like, yeah, those those asshole kids next door really fucked them, and it's like, no, they they go ahead and throw in that they're going to be arrested too. Yeah, <laughs> again, that is the point of the movie. This isn't, this isn't like, like I said, cool. That's a fucking miserable shit point. Like, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to fucking say to you. Like you shouldn't have watched the movie. You should have Correct. read yeah, like this. Like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, Like, I, but like I said, the, the horn blowing thing, I was like, okay, twist coming. And then they don't even, the problem is with that, that's even bad filmmaking Because it's the one interesting fucking moment in the film, and you only get it for like half a second, and then they smash cut to the reveal that that's not what happened. And it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, you can't even let the one interesting thing breathe for two seconds. You just got to smash cut to more people in a room being assholes. I disagree that it's bad filmmaking. I think it's 
I, I really like the end of this film, but I think it's extremely well done because I think it leaves you with, it, it does give you a second of like, what the hell is going on with these horns? And you're seeing the preacher start to like celebrate because he thinks Armageddon is coming. And then it cuts to this like bureaucratic room and it does give you a couple of seconds to go, what the, what the fuck is going on? I thought, Arm-, and then we get the explanation. And we get that. I, I think the ending to this film sums up the film perfectly in that he's like, sometimes everything's just fucked and it makes no sense. And that's what the whole movie was effectively. And he's just, he gives you that speech, that Fairy Cohen Brothers-esque speech about the dogs that just fought for no reason. And that's basically what humans are doing. I mean, this is very much holding a mirror up to society. and asking, Especially at the point it was made. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, what's that Fred Phelps or whatever was in the yeah. news a lot back then. The, you know, there was still um, that whole idea of the government raiding people and was still kind of being talked about, even though I don't know if any specific incidents happened around the time of the making of this film, but those things were still part of our kind of collective consciousness. I, I mean, they still are now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once again, which this brings me back to my whole point of it's already a thing. I don't, I don't need a movie to tell me that fundamental Christian psychopaths are bad. I know. I don't need a movie to tell me that cops murdering people is bad. I know it's bad. What a movie can give me is catharsis <laughs> against those bad things, which this movie does not. No, it's but uh, it's fine that that's what you prefer in a movie. My problem is you're implying that this is somehow not a good, not a well-made film or not a good movie because it doesn't do that. It was never the intention to do that. Sometimes movies are serve a different purpose in our society, right? Good times. Uh, anyways, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Brian, on the ending because it sounds like you're frustrated by the ending of this, which I. I think that this is a classic example of budget forcing changes in a movie and forcing them to do something more interesting than what they originally wanted to do. Hmm. You're obviously disagree. Or I, think um, I just would like to see the actual ending where weirdly it's like um, some, in some weird way, the church is actually sort of right, even though yeah, supposedly the ending was the angel comes down and, Kills everybody from the church and from the ATF. Right, right. Kills them all because they're all bad. Which yeah, is yeah, the yeah. which is the cathartic ending, right? It's yeah. it's the it's literal revelation. It's the literal revelation that you were all wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you think might. it'd be interesting to see that ending since we I, don't get it. So. I, I don't. I would, I would like to see it, and it would probably be entertaining. But I think this is a better movie because it didn't happen. I think. The idea of all this shit happened and everybody's moving back to normal. And, you know, like no nobody is getting – nobody who did things wrong is going to be punished in a proper way. And nobody – well, nobody really did anything right. Anybody who was innocent is not going to get any kind of reward for – or anything like that to me is – I think is better as an ending to, to this film because this film is all about the idea of, you know, of no one being right of there not being a good side to be on in these situations. 
Yeah. No, I do think it's inter- an inter- interesting story where essentially, um, what's his name? David Cooper, Michael Park's character. I mean, he literally pretty much gets um, Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end where they're like, we're just going to put him in Guantanamo Bay. Everybody will forget about him. Yeah, He'll be lost there forever. We don't ever have to worry about it. Yeah, But then I think the idea is, okay, but we didn't really stop anything because probably next week there'll be another situation like this. 100%, yeah. And it all just kind of keeps going on and on. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's... So it's interesting. It's just I also want to see a fucking angel come down and explode it. Sure. I mean, yeah, like there's... Everyone, everyone wants to see an angel come from heaven and blow a bunch of people up. You yeah. know what I mean? In a movie or in real life or wherever else. Um, that mm-hmm. obviously would be cool. But I think I think this ending serves the movie better. It serves the story they're telling better. Sure. I'm just saying, what if it's, what if it's an actual crossover and fucking... Uh, is it... Uh... Ben Affleck comes down as an as the angel from Dogma. And- I was I was getting ready to say fucking uh, Alanis Morissette comes down and sings and fucking dude's head pops. <laughs> so, like, I guess getting out of the screaming at each other part of the podcast, we'll, we can fight about something different. Um, <laughs> what fascinates me watching this movie every time is how little it feels like a Kevin Smith film. Yeah, like which he purposely purposely yeah designed but, it that way. But the like there is a little bit. I guess the dialogue that for, between the teenage boys is a little Kevin Smithy because he writes teenage boy dialogue because <laughs> he's he stopped maturing when he got famous at a young age. Um, but also like, but other than that, none of the dialogue comes across that way. Mm. Um, most of it isn't even it's not even funny in the way his stuff is also but the visuals in this film this looks like a really good movie like because it i think the first half is shot in really interesting ways um the the big speech that michael parks is giving the way that it's shot kind of looking up at him you really sort of are seeing him from the audience's perspective i think it's really engaging visually when all it is is a guy talking. Um, and then, of course, the second half, that kinetic energy, that the way they shot those action sequences, it's kind of the way that they, uh, that a lot of movies do it, with like the shaky cam to indicate that people are running and all that. But it's just extremely well done, like better than almost any action movie I've seen, which is strange. Because the... And I, like, I don't know who decides how much to shake the camera when you're filming these things. I don't really know how that works, but it's like for, from a filmmaker who traditionally puts two people in a room, puts one camera on them and maybe gets some coverage. <laughs> like it's to just have to have to go from that to this is fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, generally that'd be a discussion between the director and the DP. Yeah. Interesting part of it is it's, this is also David Klein. Who- yeah was the cinematographer on clerks. So yeah, just interesting to see the progression for both of them from that first movie. And worth noting that like clerks was Dave Klein, like really early in his career. Like I think the first actual movie he DP'd, you know, and now he's doing episodes of the Mandalorian. So he's come a long way, right? (laughs) He's not, (laughs) you know what I mean? 
It's yeah, but he's not him, just a Kevin Smith player. He actually yeah. went out and got other jobs and learned stuff. And, yeah, because yeah. there's, I mean, famously, I don't think he hasn't worked with Smith in a little while because he's been getting these bigger things. And it's like, how do you? You're not going to turn down Star Wars to go do Clerks Three kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not no disrespect intended, but it's a. Uh, it's just it's interesting. It's 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 really interesting to me, especially because it is Dave Klein that he progressed in his filmmaking and still came back to work with these guys on the and it's, it's sort of a yeah like like you were saying the two growing together and creating this this is like I think it's I don't think it's far fetched to say this this is Kevin Smith's best made film as far as like a film goes right. It's it's obviously not as funny what if, as the other what if, ones. What if all of a sudden I agreed with you just to piss you off even more? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, would you argue that the cinematography on anything else Kevin Smith's done is better than this? Like it's, you know, yeah, I, I I think it's it's just it's just really interesting to me because as we'll talk about in a few minutes, like Kevin Smith very much went back to his sort of roots of low budget not as interestingly filmed. Uh, so, movies. so low budget. They ran out of Steven root money, two scenes in, <laughs> <laughs> which is really a disappointment. This movie definitely, I, I agree. Could have used more Steven root. Cause well, the great thing about I, Steven, I root, honestly kind of thought that his character might be the like redeemable one in the end or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> Oh no, he just accidentally shoots a kid. And He's, then, just goes away like there there is no i i don't like i said this I, the the complete lack of resolution of anything ever in this film is just That's frustrating because, because it's the real life to be fair there is one good character it's the uh the deputy cop who stays on late to help solve crimes even though <laughs> he's getting home late i mean yeah, yeah he yeah he gets shot but He's a good, innocent character who just wants to, uh, he treats everybody kindly and he just wants to take his wife to Italy for their five-year anniversary. Good old uh, Badger from uh, Breaking Bad. I love that guy. He's he's such a likable actor. And they put him in this role here where he's just like, because even the moment where he like is uh, talking to Aiden Cooper there and he's um, like just kind of joking with him and treating him with respect, knowing full well that this is like a terrible guy, but he's just like, look, I'm just here about a car accident we don't need to get into it and he then he starts he's like didn't you protest the pope yeah (laughs) good so you've been to italy can you tell me what that's like like he's just he's almost he's so innocent kind of and then and that's i I think he is the one character that like i feel really bad for him when he gets killed Mm -hmm. out of everyone and maybe the kevin pollock character as well who is a really small role but he doesn't actually do anything wrong, and he seems to under. Does he, does he have a? I think he has one spoken line, correct? Uh, he has a couple. They're yeah. kind of standing at the, on the have the map spread out on the hood of the car. Yeah, he kind of says a couple things leading Cause, up. Because I was thinking thing. he says one line, and then he goes to make that joke and get shot. Well, no, because he that he was, was actually a point I was going to bring up about the movie. There's a lot. There are a whole lot of characters in this movie that are in this movie for like two scenes, three scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, like, I think you can't get. I don't. I don't know. There's no character development. You can't get attached to anybody. Like, I don't, no. That's that's kind of the nothing. point of the movie, though, is that they're kind of constantly bringing these people in who you think might be the next person you're supposed to follow, and then all of a sudden they're taken away from you. And that adds to just the adrenaline of the film because it's constantly like, okay, it's about these three teenagers. Oh shit! No, they're all locked up. Okay, it's about this church that locked them up. That was a. a mislead and it's like oh no okay it's about these atf guys okay no one of the atf guys is dead <laughs> it's just it's just constantly that and i think that that's on purpose and i think it's extremely well done again you don't have to personally like it i guess but yeah like the kevin pollock character when he shows up and like i think he has he has two jokes he has the one about like what do you think a cross like that costs and john goodman looks at him and goes you mean in dollars or common sense <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's a couple other lines like that and then he's just like he goes goes to make his joke about how the uh, the standard speech never gets anyone out which i happen to think is a diehard reference because it's the fbi showing up and just going through the playbook um but yeah he takes that shot in the eye which looks real cool and a piece of his skull flies off and embeds itself in john goodman's knee Ugh. so great this is also the movie where I figured out John Goodman is a great actor and not just a funny person. I didn't know that about him before 2011. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I was going to cite the uh, Coen Brothers movies, but he's usually pretty funny in those. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, I don't know why, but I guess just because there's so much going on in The Big Lebowski, I never think about him in that movie, even though he's really good in it. But yeah. um, there's just... It, he's a little overshadowed by Jeff Bridges, I guess. Is. <laughs> but um, well, he, and then his character's completely over the top and hilarious, anyway. Yeah, but in this movie, like I think he is like that. Even just that opening scene where he's woken up in bed and he sits on the side of the bed and he's like trying to like answer questions about this fundamentalist group and these cases they've been doing. And then all of a sudden he's just like, look, I'm going to need to call you back. And he's like lighting the smoke. Yeah, I think he's, it's really good. Like you really feel like, oh shit, they woke this guy up. <laughs> that's not fair. Like you almost feel bad for him in that moment. And that's all part of setting him up to be who you think is going to be the good guy of the movie until he gets there and gets the order to slaughter everybody. And basically, yeah, like Noah said, he his whole response is, no, I'm not going to murder all these people unless you put it in writing. <laughs> And then you, you move on from that and you get to that scene where he is um, – there's, there's two different moments where I think he's fantastic. One is when the Stephen Root character fires that first shot and kills that kid and he loses his fucking mind on him and he's just yelling at him and he's like snarling angry and he's like pulls the gun out of his hand and tells him to get in his vehicle and get out of the way and that's where he's gone for the rest of the movie as far as we know he's still sitting in that vehicle. But I mean, like, if John Goodman was yelling at me like that, I'd fucking get in his, my vehicle and shut up too. Like, he scares you a little bit in that scene. Which, by the way, that scene where Stephen Root's running and falls over—yeah—that was a complete accident. Just fell and over. He, yeah, he just literally got too far ahead of himself and just kind of flipped over. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they just left it in the movie because they thought it worked. It works. I think it does too, because it makes him look like he's scared to death of John Goodman, and <laughs> he should be. Um, the other moment, though, is when the one guy is, like, asking what the order is, and John Goodman just starts reading him the press release, 
and I, I, it's more the writing, I guess, than the performance, but the performances has to be good to make it work. And he just reads the, like the already pre-written press release about what they're going to say in regards to this whole, uh, this whole incident. And I'm like, Oh shit, that's, that is dark. And you know, we, we've officially lost our hero at that point in the story. So I, 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 I'm blown away every time I watch this movie by how good John Goodman is in him. Yeah. And when him and Michael um, Parks are finally standing face to face, I'm like, the charisma is amazing between those two. <laughs> and Goodman's all confused about what's going on, and Parks is like starting to almost dance. I fucking love it. Um, Noah, if it helps any, this is the movie that helped push. Uh... Kevin Smith and Harvey Weinstein apart from each other. That's, I, I don't know. What? Uh, I mean, so, I here's the thing. I didn't pay close enough attention to Kevin Smith's career to know that he was hanging out with Harvey Weinstein. So you probably just added a negative. Yeah, no, no like, he was... Yeah. All, like pretty much most of his movies before this were made through Miramax. I don't know. See, I don't pay close enough attention to that stuff. So, he, uh, except for Cop Out, which was right before this, majority of them, except for Mallrats, was through Miramax, and uh, they weren't like friends. But I mean, you know, he would work with them to make the movies and stuff, and uh, he took this one out on his own, and then. He screened it at Sundance, and Harvey Weinstein was too busy asking about World Cup scores and bullshit in the hallway while the movie was screening, and Kevin Smith had to tell him to shut the fuck up because he was being too loud, and they didn't talk after that until Harvey Weinstein called him to make sure they were still friends right before uh, the <laughs> so, article came so out. So they're, 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 once again, this doesn't improve things. It wasn't all the accusations and the rapings. It was well, the fact that he was talking too loud at Sundance. <laughs> okay, but to be fair, the accusations hadn't come out yet at that point. I, I, I know, but I'm. So, and, uh, it's one of those things that, we, well, supposedly the Weinstein rumors have been around for uh, a long time. Yeah, I think most people didn't realize anything near the extent of it and mm. thought he was more of a bully than anything else. But and famously, Kevin Smith did have a very emotional reaction when all that came out, and did donate yeah. tons of money to like women's causes from the films, like the profits from the films that he made with Weinstein and stuff. So, yeah, he donates all of his royalties from all of his uh, Miramax movies to a uh, foundation that helps women get jobs in the film industry, like specifically. Um, I don't know. Specifically, just women trying to get them film jobs, I guess. But I was trying to think of how to explain that, so it sounded more important. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I can't keep track of where he's donating his money, but right. I know he was very uh, adamant at the time. Yeah. Anyways. <clears throat> yeah, I only learned about that in his uh, in one of his books. This is the movie that kind of. Push them apart from each other because he was so pissed that, you know, he was trying to be like, hey, look, we made this thing and we're Sundance. And Harvey Weinstein could give like two shits about it. Well, isn't it? He was worried about the World Fucking Cup. 
I think it's also got to do with the fact that Kevin Smith took the movie out on his own and made like a big thing about how he wasn't going to work with studios anymore at the time. <laughs> if you recall that, this was the movie where he decided he was going to start oh, yeah, just yeah. touring his own movies, which is a super interesting idea of him just touring around, showing the movie and doing Q&As after and, you know, finding a way to make a profit off of an independent film without having to deal with a studio or get it into theaters. Um, so from that perspective, it's, it, it is interesting that he found a way around all that stuff. Um, and, you know, raises all sorts of weird questions about why, if he can make profit with this movie on his own, why wouldn't a studio be able to do it? What are they doing wrong? Well, they're making money. Just their Hollywood accounting keeps saying that they're not making yeah. any money. Anyways, yeah. none of that has to do with what actually happened in the movie. No. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So he was dealing a lot with the uh, Westboro Baptist Church at this point. Yeah. Uh, they were boycotting like every movie he had come out. And so he actually invited them to this movie. Yeah. And, and a bunch of them showed up and basically sat in the movie for 10 minutes and then left. And then called it filth and trash afterwards. And yeah. he's like, yes. <laughs> well, it's funny that he actually like actually takes the time to point out that these guys in the movie are worse than the actual yeah. Westboro Baptist church. Cause I think he's like, gotta make sure that we're legal here. Like, I think that's an on purpose where he points out, no, no, these, those guys are crazy, but these guys are the violent ones. We're not saying those other guys are violent. <laughs> and I think that actually one of the members of that church ended up leaving after befriending Kevin Smith and stuff when they did. Come uh, well, it was a little bit after this, but yeah, it's Megan, who was the granddaughter of Fred Phelps. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot of the higher up people have defected at some point. Uh, That's why you barely hear about this church anymore. Yeah, I think they're, I think, well, I mean, when he passed away, I think it kind of ended, yeah. not ended necessarily, sort of but it lost its, you know. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, he actually had her on the uh, podcast to talk about it. Yeah, I seem to recall that, but he does 19 podcasts a week, so I can't remember. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. He does actually doesn't do very many anymore. Yeah, scaled back a lot. I had to listen to Shannon Doherty's podcast today because he was a guest. I on listened it. to that one today, too. <laughs> it's a good one. We're we're off on a weird tangent. We're no longer talking about how great this movie is. Um, we're going to be talking about podcasts in the next movie. So Yeah, probably it'll come up. <laughs> um, yeah, so... What else do you? What else is good about this movie, Brian? What uh, did you catch? Uh, maybe more Noah than uh, um, probably you. But um, what's her face from uh, Mister Rogers' Neighborhood? Lady Aberline. She's one of the crazy fundamental uh, church ladies. Is that right? Yeah, that's crazy. Because she played the uh, the nun in Dogma that uh, Matt Damon like. Uh, makes her question her faith at the very beginning of the movie. But yeah, she was one of the uh, crazy ladies sh- uh, shooting machine guns out the windows and stuff. So it's just interesting to like look at that and be like, she was on Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and then she's got an AK-47 just unloading it out of she, a window. She apparently doesn't want to be your neighbor anymore. <laughs> uh, Kyle Gallner, who nobody really knew who he was at the time. Uh, he's the last teenager left alive. Right. Um, I really like him. I've liked him 
saw him on an episode of The Shield like forever ago before oh, really? he was anybody. And so I've always recognized him because he's got a very like interesting face. Yes. Very recognizable. So every time I see him in something, and I remember when I watched this, I was like, hey, it's the kid from The Shield. <laughs> and now he's been in like a billion other things. He was in so. the, the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street as well, right? Yeah. I remember that because I remember like that movie was full of like good actors and then it not working (laughs) in the long run. Right. But, but the acting isn't the problem. And I remember seeing him in that and thinking like pretty good. I wish he was in a good movie. And then like, this is like just a year later. So I was like kind of relieved when he was in this, (laughs) but I actually do think he's pretty good. Uh, And then the other two boys were in uh, that movie sky high that we did on the show. Oh really? Yeah. That's funny. One of them, the one with the beer, the one with the, uh, not with the mullet, um, but the other one, who the uh, yeah. Stephen Root shoots later. Yeah. He's the main character in um, Sky High. And then the guy with the weird rat tail mullet thing. Billy Ray, that's his name. He was, he was, uh, he was one of the sidekicks. Okay. He had blonde hair. He had blonde hair in that movie, though. All right. I didn't recognize either no. one of them from Sky High. But. It's just just interesting to go from Disney movie Sky High to this movie where they think they're going to be in a four-way of some sort with some girl they met online. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, I don't know, the effects are pretty good. I think so. It's fucked up seeing people getting wrapped up in plastic and then shot through the top of the head. That's, yeah. I, that that moment when they shoot him on the top of the head and you get like the little fire come out of the gun and everything. I think it looks fantastic in like a, a really kind of dark horror movie way. And then somebody yells head hole and they start wrapping it up. And I'm like, Oh God, that's, that's gross. And I don't, yeah. I guess this is what no and I started yelling at each other about this earlier, but they don't cross that line where it's not excessive. Like there isn't, blood spraying out on everyone's faces or anything like that you don't get a camera angle looking down into the hole in the head or whatever you know it is dark but it's not over the top and i think that makes it feel more real and therefore more effective yeah so and then again like when kevin pollack gets shot that i think that looks fantastic when he takes that bullet in the eye and you're just like it's it's a great moment because it's a combination of like here's this guy who we think is going to be this likable character who might even turn into the hero and and he takes that bullet and you're like okay he's gone but also we just watched Aiden Cooper go over the top because he's the one that shot him so you have this fantastic moment of like oh shit is about to go off right now like we are hitting the fan right now and it's just it's really well done in my opinion and that's kind of like the movie goes into its next act right then and there. And you get that a real shift in everything from the cinematography to the, the performances to everything. Yeah. Um, I had a point. I completely forgot what it was. Um, I don't think I realized Ralph Garman was in this movie the first time I watched it. Cause he's a guy famous for his voice and they don't let him talk. Yeah. <laughs> So seeing him this time, like, hey, it's Ralph Garman. It's, and I'm like, oh, yeah. this, is, this is a very weird role for him. Where it's, he's just, he's, he's very uh, weirdly intimidating in this movie. It's honestly like you realize it with him. I don't like, I, 
this is real nerd stuff for you and I, Brian, because they're like, yeah, you know, sure. if you like that one uh, podcast that Kevin Smith used to do and you want to hear us discuss how his co-host got a cameo in this movie, then, <laughs> but you realize that because he's not talking and saying silly things and whatever, right, that he is really like a big kind of intimidating looking guy and they just, by having him just not say anything, I think he had dialogue and they cut it out. Um, but it, he really does come across as a little bit scary. Yeah. Which is interesting because he's also in the next movie and he's, he's not scary in that movie. Complete, complete opposite. <laughs> the shitty Canadian accent in the next movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's weird. Um, looking at the IMDB, they got the tags on it. It says homophobia, religious fundamentalism, relig- religious zealot, yeah. fellatio, blowjob in car. Correct. All those things are an accurate way to describe this movie. <laughs> Although the blowjob in car scene is, um, it's interesting the way it's shot because both guys' heads are down and I'm not sure which one's blowing which one, but not that it matters. I mean, they... <laughs> Whatever they want to be doing is their business, but uh, Saran wrap is also. <laughs> like, in case you're on IMDb and you're like, I just want to watch a movie with a bunch of Saran wrap in it. What's the best one I can find? Shows <laughs> ridiculous up. stuff. Although speaking of the Stephen Root character and his car blowjobs, uh-huh. one of the things I love in this movie, which is. Noah's not going to like hearing it, but when Aiden Cooper gets on the radio with him and he starts being like, aren't you like that? I don't even want to say the words he says, but he refers to him in homophobic terms. He brings racism into it, which is like out of nowhere. (laughs) Apparently this guy's also anti-Mexicans. And then he's like the detailed description he gives of the guy's sexual acts. And you're like, Oh, like, like, why are you saying it in such a horrible way? It really makes you hate him. And at, like at that point in the movie, they're still setting him up to be the villain of the film, which, I mean, I guess he always is the villain, but you're hoping for somebody, for a hero to come at that point, which I think, as weird as it is, like that dialogue being as vile and hateful as it is, is actually important for that character. It doesn't soft coat it. It doesn't so it doesn't allow you to ever build sympathy for this character, no matter how like charismatic and funny and how great the performance is. You still have to hate him, which is extremely well done. Yeah. So if you click on Saran Wrap, <laughs> what other movies have a lot of Saran Wrap in them? The the first four that pop up is uh, Don't Worry, Darling. That that one with. Harry Styles okay. and uh, Florence Pugh, which if you watch the trailer, there's a scene where she wraps her head in saran wrap. Yeah. Um, Hard Candy, which I don't remember where it's at in there. I'm sure it has something to do with the castration scene, probably. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, Red State, of course, and uh, 2010 remake of Mother's Day. All right. Let's put that 2010 <laughs> remake of Mother's Day on the list to find out. It's the only one I haven't uh, seen. Or sorry, Weird it's the only one I'm not familiar with. The Weird Al show also uh, pops up, in case you're curious. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that tracks. Yeah, for some reason with the Weird Al, like, I don't question it at all. I'm just like, yeah, no, of course. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the Weird Al show, but when if you tell me there's a lot of saran wrap in it, I believe you, of course. like <laughs> Very uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse-esque. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Do we have anything else? I think as we've said, Michael Parks no, I, is fantastic in this movie. John Goodman's good. Yeah, I, I I don't think we can say enough about how good Michael Parks is in this role because when you watch it, he's it's the charisma he brings to the role is such that I finally understand cults. Like that's how I feel when I watch this movie. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like if you put people in a room with this guy and let him get up and speak like this, I understand how people get sucked in now in a way where like, like when I watch clips of Hitler or Trump or whoever, like, I don't get it. I don't understand how people are fooled by these guys, but this, with this character in this movie, I'm like, oh, if this, if someone was like this in real life, I absolutely understand how they could suck people in, especially if they're like, you know, listening to this daily and they're cut off from the outside world and they're start when they're young, like, and, and uh, the, the, it takes a great performance to pull that off. He's almost likable. That's how charismatic he is. He's almost likable despite all the horrible, horrible things he says. Um, if you were like, oh, I'm going to show up and have sex with this random lady who the internet has told me wants to have sex with me. Mm-hmm. And you get there and that was the lady. Would you still be like, oh, hell yeah. She does not match up whatsoever with with the uh, the internet listing that they were looking at beforehand. You already drove all the way there. I guess. I mean, I don't know. We've all done online dating, and sometimes the girl doesn't quite look like she does in her picture. But you're already you already try. You're already like went through the effort of like showing up. <laughs> I don't know the polite way to say it, but probably I would. A friend of mine pretended to fall asleep during the movie they went and saw some girl he met on a blind date, yeah. just so he wouldn't have to interact with her. Yeah, uh, like what I wouldn't do is agree to go to a place where it was like me and two other dudes and one lady. That, also true. That that's the part where it would where it would get me if if any if the listeners are judging my morality as it pertains to this stuff. That's the part I would drop out, but. Um, I'm not even judgmental of that if that's what you're into. <laughs> that's fine, just because it's not for me. Again, um, although I guess the boys were underage, so maybe I do have an issue with it from that perspective. Uh, apparently also Kyle Garner had a panic attack while he was tied up to the cross during that scene. Yeah. Why? Because he, he was tied up to a cross and people yeah. were yelling horrific things around him. And apparently the crew were unaware. They just thought, oh man, this dude's an amazing actor. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how, like, I don't know how to say it. Like, it would feel super fucking awkward to be in that. And I don't know how you would, I don't know how you could just sit there and act while, like, strapped to a cross. Yeah. Mm. Um. All right. Well, let's switch gears to Kevin Smith's other horror film uh no do you want to tell us about tusk uh sure uh jake <laughs> jake uh is it jake long yeah justin long justin long that's the justin? name <laughs> yes justin long plays a douchebag as he always does uh, who is a podcaster with fucking Haley Joel Osment for some goddamn reason. Oh, I don't know. There's uh, something about Haley Joel Osment being in this movie that's great for me. I don't really get it. It's just so, It just feels real fucking random. 
Uh, he goes to Canada to uh, belittle a kid who they've already embarrassed on the internet because his character is a piece of shit. Uh, it turns out that kid killed himself, but that's not the plot of the movie, which is <laughs> seems like a much more interesting <laughs> movie in some ways. Uh, he instead ends up uh, taking an invitation off of the wall above a urinal in a men's room in a random bar, which, uh, no. <laughs> Red flags. No. Uh, to go meet some old guy and listen to his stories for the podcast. Uh, he goes out there, the guy drugs him, and the guy sews him into a war suit after chopping off of his legs and uh basically binding his arms to his body. It's real fucked up. It's just body horror shit. He turns him into a walrus man. <laughs> and then Johnny Depp shows up being fucking weird. <laughs> That's the plot of this movie. That's it. Uh, there is no other plot. Um, I will say before we jump further into it, I am 100% biased of this movie because I was listening to the podcast when this movie was created because i don't know if no one knows the story or not but uh, i know it's something about they read some weird online yeah. post or something about a dude wanting somebody to pretend to be a warus for him or yep. something weird that was basically the uh the note that the, he finds in the bathroom stall is pretty much it was like a classified that was taken out in like a british newspaper and they read it and then just started riffing on it about why he would want companionship with the walrus. And then he's like, well, what if you didn't want to do it? But then like you drank some tea and all of a sudden you woke up and he's like, he's turning me into a walrus, man. And then they just like, you know, riff on it for like an hour. And then the next episode, Kevin Smith came back. He's like, so I've written 20 pages of this already. <laughs> and it just became like organically became a movie over a couple episodes yeah. of the podcast. Well, and yeah, the, my favorite part of that story is that they, Kevin Smith said like, go on Twitter and tag me and either say like, yes, we should make the movie or no, we shouldn't. Yeah. And, walrus. But, yes. Or walrus. No, but it's Kevin Smith asking only people who listen to his podcasts and follow him on Twitter, whether he should make a movie or not. Like, I feel like the answer. Yes. Was predetermined. Like, <laughs> oh, like, I voted walrus. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I will I will up your bias one, Brian, and I'll say not only was I listening okay. to the podcast, and not only would I have voted Walrus Yes had I been uh, on Twitter, but also I went to the world premiere at TIFF, so I was part of the nice. first ever audience to see this movie. <laughs> so I was like... Nice. So when the reveal that Johnny Depp is in the movie, which no one knew going in and like the opening scene of him showing up is this close up of Johnny Depp's face, but in just enough makeup where it takes a second, I'm like, what the fuck? And of course he's not, he's not even credited. So nope. he's like, Completely that knows that nose prosthetic they've got on Johnny Depp is something. Yeah. Cause the big, the giant fake eyebrows and the terrible wig is one thing, but that I don't understand why they put so much effort into a very realistic nose prosthetic. And then just everything else looks like they bought it in a fucking Halloween store. Uh, Johnny Depp brought his own makeup guy. That is his decision making process. And Smith is, is like famously is just like, look, you're Johnny Depp and you're going to be in my movie and not even like, he didn't even have a contract. 
So the movie was like, it, the story goes that the movie was made basically. And then they filmed all the Johnny Depp's, Depp stuff separately because they filmed in like North Carolina or something. And then they filmed Johnny Depp in LA because he's Johnny Depp. He doesn't fly to North Carolina for movies with a two and a half million dollar budget or whatever. And he just did it because he wanted to because yeah. they know each other personally. So that Smith just uh, like, texted well, on the script kind of thing. Specifically, he did it because uh, the other girl at the, uh, that works at the convenience store, because it's like Kevin Smith's daughter, and then there's another girl. Yeah, that that is Johnny Depp's but daughter. I don't, I don't think he did. They were. I don't know that. Like, like it's not like she wouldn't have got the role. If <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's. I think Kevin Smith threw it out. Like, hey, your daughter's in this movie. Would you like to be in a movie with your daughter? Which is why I think Johnny don't have, did it. Do they? Oh, they have one scene together. Yeah, yeah. So they do get one scene together, but and trust me, throughout the entire process, Kevin Smith is like, it's very obvious one of us is doing the other yeah. person a favor, and I know it's not me. So yeah, yeah. So it's just fun. He basically is just one of those like. I have Johnny Depp's number because our daughters are best friends <laughs> and I've never abused it, but maybe this one time so, I'm going to text him. All, all that aside, because like it's, yeah. it's a fun story or whatever, but what do you guys think of Johnny Depp in the movie? Because I can tell you what my experience was, was the first time I saw it, I fucking like loved it. And part of that was just the excitement of, holy shit, Johnny Depp's in this walrus movie. Like, <laughs> like what the fuck kind of thing. Um, when I rewatched the film, I was like, oh, man, he's like over the top. It's ridiculous. Like, he's not doing a good job. And I then you remember like it. it's a walrus movie and you're kind of like, see, yeah, all right. see what like what's happened now is now that I've seen the movie, I don't know. 10, 20 times, whatever the hell it is. Um, now I watch it and I go like, yeah, he's a little over the top. It's a little bit big, but it's all part of the performance. And it it doesn't stand out as much as it did on those initial rewatches or on the first watch. Like I think he blends in a lot better than expected. <laughs> so I have no idea which of my opinions is valid because it's like, it's three different experiences with that second half of the movie. Uh, so my, I don't, I don't have any complaints about that performance. I think that that performance is out of place in this movie. Okay. Because everyone else is playing this straight. Yeah. And Johnny Depp is clearly not. Well, it, uh, Justin Long isn't either, at least in the at the beginning, right? Like you Justin think so? Long- no, I think he's just supposed to be like a douchey podcast failed comedian guy. I think I I still think it plays kind of straight. He's just, it's just his character's kind of a zany douchebag. Yeah. I, don't, I, I take it as being a little over the top. I think the, all is like before I, I've, it's before he gets to the house where he meets Michael Parks. Um, I think all that stuff is over the top, but I, and I also think, I think like all the interactions they have with other people are a bit over the top. Um, like the whole thing at the airport where the guy like, when he says he doesn't like hockey and the Canadian customs guy is all of a sudden like, whoa, 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 okay. <laughs> like he's being all friendly to him until he doesn't, doesn't like hockey. And, but then like the whole thing is like the Canadian accents are played up and all that. 
Um, of course. And, you know. Are you offended, Doug? Are you like, you sons of bitches? No. I mean, the best thing is he doesn't tell the guy he doesn't like hockey. He just says, I don't follow hockey. That's, that's all he says. It's bad enough. Um, <laughs> but the, I mean, the whole thing is, it's one of the, it's, I guess, like, all that all, that whole interaction and the whole interaction with the, later with with Frank Garman, um, which, is, which is an inside joke again. But yep. the, both of them, it's like the Canadian accent is hugely played up. But also, like, just... I don't know if you guys know this, but they're really making fun of you guys, right? Like the the whole the, oh, the whole thing where like where he like shows him the flag and he has to explain that you know we're, we're you're not you're never sad in Canada because you're red and white, but there's no blue. Like uh-huh. the joke there is that Americans are so arrogant that when they see a Canadian flag, they see missing blue because it's different from their own. That's what's funny about it. It's like Canadians don't look at the flag and go, "Oh, we didn't put any blue on that." <laughs> like nobody thought of that. I did like the. Uh, <laughs> I did like that uh, when he points to it. He's like, "You see that there? You know, what you see when you look through that flag." And Justin Long's just like a white wall, <laughs> and he's, they just gloss over it and just keep going. It's it's a it's a great little moment of humor because <laughs> it's like yeah that's and that's honestly the kind of answer I would give in that scenario. I'm like, that's that's what's behind it, right? A wall like this is a trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i don't know i like johnny depp's performance again my bias shows just because i've been along for the ride the whole way yeah. it is just like holy shit fucking johnny depp like uh, there, there and there's definite truth to what noah is saying about the fact that it's different from other parts of the film. oh of course yeah he is, is he also, is playing a cartoon character in a horror movie oh totally yeah, yeah. But this is totally like during his like, oh, I'm Jack Sparrow and fucking um, I'm doing um, Willy Wonka and like, you know, he just is at this point just doing weird characters well, in every film. And I can I can say for sure that this is better than any fucking thing he ever did that had Tim Burton involved in it. Yeah. Ooh, shots fired. Well, I take that back. Edward Sister's hands. But that's different. that's that's good timber yeah all right so now moving on from that because johnny depp is not the star of this movie no the walrus suit is (laughs) can we talk about the whole plot line of fucking watching justin long like okay so he goes in the house there's that first interaction where everything's just a little bit weird and he wakes up with no fucking leg and the guy is just like it's the lunacy of the Michael Parks character being oh, like, yeah. oh no, you got bit by a spider, so the doctor showed up and cut your leg off. <laughs> and, and it's, I fucking love how he he says it so straight faced, like as if anyone would believe that's the story. And then when Justin Long yeah. is like, well, I got to call home, and he's like, no, the doctor took all the phones out of the house. <laughs> I'm just, oh, but I, and, and again, what Parks, doctor, Dr. Mashecki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the whole, every line of dialogue that Michael Parks delivers is he does it in such an earnest and straightforward way as if he's the villain from some very serious horror film, but it's also absolutely insane. I love every minute of it. <laughs> and it's like 
like it, it is comedy. It is the it is absurd, but it's being delivered in that just that it's it's almost like something out of a child's play movie when they're trying to like make Chucky seem really scary. And it's like, well he yes, he's acting scary, but also he's a doll. And here it's like, yeah, he's acting yeah. like he's a Bond villain with his great plot, but his excuse is the doctor took all the phones away. <laughs> like Yeah, see I don't I don't know because I would I would plant my feet firmly in the ground of I don't entirely think that this is horror comedy. Because is it is it really all that like I I get that it's absurdist like definitely, mm-hmm. but I it, to me whenever I watch this this is just straight it's a straight up body horror movie. Well, I mean, the, like I said, the concepts are silly, but they don't play it that way. And really, if you take out if you take out two things, if you take out fucking Johnny Depp being fucking crazy Quebec man, <laughs> yeah. And you take out the fucking end scene where Justin Long looks up and then the other dude is also wearing a fucking Warris suit <laughs> to prepare for their Warris battle. <laughs> I should have known that would have won Noah over. Because that fucking... Well, well, it's so funny because like I said, for the most part, I was like, okay, okay. See, I thought that they were going to lean a little heavier into the comedy in this movie and really they're <laughs> they're going the other way with it. And then it gets to that and I laughed so fucking hard. I was like, has this whole movie been a setup for one fucking joke of him to look <laughs> up and the battle. other guy is in a Warris suit ready for their Warris fight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the whole movie was that. Um, but can I like can I read a line of dialogue to you from this movie? Yes, because Noah is saying that it's not meant to be funny. But keeping in mind, I'm not Michael Park, so I can't do what he does. But th- he's like, we need to solve a riddle older than the Sphinx to answer the question which has plagued us since we first crawled from the earth and stood erect in the sun. Is man indeed? A walrus at heart. <laughs> like, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> like, to have an actor of this caliber deliver dialogue like that in a dead serious tone. Like, that character 100% believes what he's saying. And he genuinely thinks this is a question that everyone has. And we all need to figure it out together. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. you know. I like that because uh, the backstory is he got marooned on a. Like a small island yeah. with nothing but a walrus. And then he at some point killed the walrus and ate it like an hour before he yeah. was rescued. I just love that there's no question that he is utterly fucking insane yeah. from that point forward. Yeah. But somehow still becomes like a billionaire, which is that's, that's not the type of question you're supposed to ask. How he made his money is not an appropriate question for this movie. <laughs> Well, and there's the see what's you point out that that weird walrus quote is is just a shining example of comedy. But have you seen Human Centipede? Because it's full of lines like that. Like absolutely, it's chuck a block full. And the Human Centipede is not fucking horror comedy. Oh, I think it is. I think <laughs> that is madness. We're using slightly different definitions of comedy. I think, but. My, remember the part where he goes, oh, sorry, I have the quotes in front of me now, and now I'm just smiling and reading them. But <laughs> the walrus is far more evolved than any man I've ever known, present company included. 
And the guy goes, thank you. Like, he's so, he's so dumb and arrogant that he has no idea he just got insulted. Oh. No, I think he I – th- I took it as like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm obnoxious and immature. Like, he took that as a compliment. Oh, like, legit. Okay. Oh, man, when he yep. – the love that that man has for that walrus at the end when he's just like – he's – calling him Mr. Tusk and he's um, he's like you've brought my humanity back and all that kind of shit and then he's like and now we have to fight to see <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like it's legit these two like A-list actors fucking like hacking at each other in walrus costumes <laughs> well there this is a frustration. I did notice a line that I was like, that is a gross inconsistency, which is a, a crazy thing to think of when talking about a movie about a man being <laughs> placed into a walrus suit. Well, and I think it's and, worth pointing out. His legs are chopped off. His arms are sewn to his sides. And he's permanently enclosed in this thing. He's really he's being made into a walrus. He's not being put in a walrus suit. We don't want to mislead the audience. Yeah. Yeah. How does he use the restroom, by the way? Um, I think, but besides goes, but besides that, walrus would. Well, there's two things. So when Johnny Depp is talking about this guy, he says that there have been 20 victims. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but when Walrus Dude finally confronts Justin Long for their walrus battle, he he says every 15 years, I I do this to give the walrus a chance to fight back. Then it's like, okay, so unless this guy is several hundred years old, well, one of those things is incorrect. Can, can I pose a theory here? I think that the rich man who pretends to be in a wheelchair to trick people into coming into his home so that he can drug them and then convert them into walruses is not a reliable narrator. I don't trust a lot of the things he says. I, don't know. I, I believe him. I believe him when he speaks of walruses. I like. Part of me really wonders. Like, is the whole thing of him being trapped on a, on a on a uh, an island with a walrus is any of that part true, or is he just a crazy person who made that up and convinced himself to believe it? Because it's like <laughs> it is just so absurd. And he also tells that story about like just meeting Ernest Hemingway on a boat on D-Day and you're like ah, like why is that there like did he is that real can that all be true is this a joker situation does he just tell everybody a different origin story based on like whatever's on the wall that the person shows an interest in um, he also did say that uh, Justin Long's character was the one who's made it the farthest yeah in this whole process well, I Again, we're, we're, we're analyzing this movie on a level that I don't think anybody else ever has. <laughs> but I feel that some of the bodies, as described by Guy Lapointe, are meant to be the idea that he was converting them into walruses and didn't wasn't successful. So they died in the process, yeah. so he just dumped the body and moved sure. on. And then that's well, why he's... And we saw them. one at the bottom of the, the, the uh, lagoon as well. So my, my, my assumption with the one at the bottom of the lagoon is that it was relatively successful and it didn't learn to swim because it, that's when we see it, yeah. right, is in the learn to swim scene. So Because he does at one point, yeah. now that you're in your full, now that you're in full walrus mode, now I have to throw you in the water and make sure you can behave like a walrus as well. 
burn. <sighs> this movie's great. Have we established that yet? I don't know if we've established that yet. <laughs> I just love... I remember hearing Kevin Smith talk about how he made a critic-proof movie. I'd say that's correct. <laughs> like what? Because... Because he said, like, if people like it, they're going to come up and be like, I can't believe you made a movie about a guy that gets turned into a walrus. And he's like, I know, it's fucked up, right? And then he's like, if somebody hates it, they come up and be like, I can't believe you made a movie where some guy gets turned into a walrus. And he's like, yeah, it's really fucked up, right? Like, he's just like, there's no way to, like, that, that like, you know, holds, like, any sway over over the movie. Or yeah, no, I, I think... I think when you make a movie like this, you know there's like a core audience that's going to come with Kevin Smith. There's like a body horror audience that's going to be curious about this. And then the primary audience is people who go, no, really? No. And then they watch it anyway just to find out. I think that's that's your primary – that's where your money is, is in, is in people who are just like, that can't be right. right. So. Yeah, then he only, he only spent uh, $3 million on this movie? It's – doesn't it look great? That's that's the beauty of it being Kevin Smith, great, though, yeah. right? Like you get you get these actors in at discount rates. I think Robert Kurtzman did like the makeup, so you're like mm. you get him on a three million dollar budget. Like I have a feeling that if you don't have a TV show on AMC the same time he has a TV show on AMC, that doesn't work out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> you know like it, one of the interesting things when you watch Kevin Smith movies is you realize like he must be the best guy in the world to work with. Cause like, why do all these people just keep showing up for his stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I remember him talking that he pre-sold all the foreign sales rights, just based on the fact that it's a Kevin Smith. Yeah. Movie. It's a Kevin Smith movie. But it's yeah. and so before they even, uh, shot the movie, they'd already like made the uh, budget back. Yeah. So this was essentially like a free movie. Yeah, and that's that's like, that's an old Roger. That's an old Roger Corman trick of you sell no, the, totally, totally. You sell the yeah. uh, the international rights before you make the movie, so that if it's a huge movie, they win, but they're buying them relatively cheap if it if it is a huge movie, and they're they're you're kind of spreading the risk, right? Mm. Um, yeah, 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 totally. Like I just find it interesting that like the movie that is critic proof is all was also like successful before they even yeah. turned the camera on. Which is fascinating, especially for this movie. It gets to my whole point about Hollywood, though. Like, if Kevin Smith can make a movie like this for $3 million with the built-in budget, that with the built-in audience that comes with it being Kevin Smith and the obvious, like, uh, the obvious appeal of something that's just so weird enough people are going to want to see it. How does he, how does, how are there not just studios lining up with checks for $3.2 million to like, we'll just finance it if we get the rights. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't understand, but well, Hollywood because is Hollywood. in the, in the era of the blockbuster, if it made, if it costs 3 million and made them 30 million, that's not enough money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hollywood pisses me off. But this movie doesn't, so let's go stop talking about that. <laughs> I want to be happy and think about the guy getting turned into a walrus again. <sighs> how so how much do you love like Justin Long's performance when he's that look that he keeps getting on his face as more and more fucked up things keep happening to him? He's just <laughs> so fucking weirded out. Just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Justin Long's great in this movie. Like I can't imagine this was a fun movie for him to make specifically the get in the walrus suit scenes. Yeah, I can't imagine it was fun to get put in that makeup. 
But right. I mean, God bless him. He is. He does not need this movie. Like he was more famous than this movie, <laughs> you know. And oh, yeah. he got the script and went, "I'm all in." And he went all in. And you gotta, you have to respect that, right? It probably helps that they had worked together before yeah. a little bit. But man, and it's, <laughs> but yeah, like, and I think like famously, like he like lost his representation because they're like, we are not going to be your agents if you're going to do this kind of movie. And he's like, okay, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> like, you know, and he, you know, at that point he, he was a list enough that I'm sure he wasn't hard to find new representation or whatever, but yeah, he's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great performance, but it's fascinating that you can get like, like, keep in mind, we haven't mentioned that, like, oh, by the way, this A-list actor who was trying to make it huge in Hollywood also, like, does the full-on Hitler salute at one point in this movie, and he had no problem being oh, filmed yeah. doing that, right? Um, <laughs> that's Which I will say, I feel like the name of the podcast was a little annoying. I, I think it's a fun one-time joke. I do think it gets brought up too many times. Yeah. Yeah, like the whole concept of the show is not that exciting to me, but I it's not that, that's really just a vehicle just to get him to the house, yeah. which is fine. The whole thing is like I would not that's not a podcast I would listen to, but no. but we don't have to listen to it in the movie, so it's like yeah. you say it's the driving force to get him going. Um which did you watch through the credits, Noah? Uh is there an after credits? Uh, there's like a small one. It's not that big of a deal, but um, uh, they do play like a sort of assembled clip from the podcast where they came up with the idea. How is that movie. right? So you kind of get to hear a lot of, of them going through it and coming up with the ideas and stuff. It's sort of a truncated form, uh, which is a lot of fun. So, Does that include, and then he wakes up and the guy wants to do a walrus battle with him. Uh, they, they it, it is. <laughs> they're like, they're like, what if he woke up with the guy had his own walrus suit on, and then yeah, they just went over that and just started like, you know, like riffing on that shit. It's, yeah, honestly, what they came up with on Smodcast is a treatment for the movie. It's not like it's yeah. <laughs> like, like it's it's a pitch. It's not there. There wasn't a lot left to add to the story. Yeah, it's so funny. I did think the. The end of this movie is kind of like fucked up in the fact that, oh, yeah. okay, let's just say the guy is mentally broken and now lives as a walrus. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't they still at least take him, I don't know, out of the weird fucking skin suit? No, it's not. It's part of him now. He's sewn in there. Can't get him out of there. Too far gone. Yep. They give they give him the, the fly two ending where he's just like... Okay, now you live as a creature. <laughs> you just yep. That, People show up, throw a fish down his, to you, and you just munch his on fucking it. girlfriend and his best friend show up and bring him a fish. They don't even like try to talk to him like a human being anymore. <laughs> his friend, <laughs> that moment where they they put it they put like the paper down. It's like the newspaper with the fish wrapped in it, and they toss it. <laughs> and he comes out, and you just see him eating it. Oh. That ending, it's so dark, but it's like, it's dark in that, like, like, you know, those like, like the nihilistic 70s sci-fi ending where you, you're laughing at the people because of how terrible it is. (laughs) That's, that's how I feel watching the end of this movie. I'm just like, oh my God, like, he's just going to live there forever. God. 
Uh, I'm curious, Noah, this movie, would it compel you to watch the sort of spinoff slash side sequel, Yoga Hosers? Uh, you know what? I was actually going to ask you guys about Yoga Hosers because the, the two girls in the gas station, are they supposed to yeah. be the same characters? Yeah. Yeah, yes, it's the same okay. gas station. And uh, Guy Lapointe does return yeah. in Yoga Hosers. <laughs> is, is that right? Yes, yeah, Yoga does. Hosers is very much a comedy spinoff of this movie, where yeah. it turns out that convenience store is built over yada, yada, yada. And many yeah. of the actors. All return. I remember is that there's Nazi sausages, right? Correct. Bra- uh, they be- they are actually called Bratsies, but yes. Okay. Bratsies. You don't, you don't need to nitpick. <laughs> uh so, yeah no i mean like i don't the whole thing is with the exception of red state i don't hate kevin smith movies i'm just I, not into them like other people are yeah there, no, there's there are we are a particular group kevin smith fans are a particular group and most people aren't us i get yeah. that um like mall rats i like clerks pretty funny some of the sequels get a little too much jay and silent bob funny at first gets way less funny as time goes on all right well we're not we're we don't need to yell at each other about that um when when we do well, like thing... jay and silent bob and jay and silent bob reboot as an episode we'll, we'll just do it on a week when you're not here no um because that could happen um well the interesting thing was he was so obsessed with canada for a while on the podcast yeah. And that's where all this came out of. And this was supposed to be the first part in the Great White North trilogy. Yeah. So it was this, and then it was Yoga Hosers. And then Moose. And then he was supposed to, then he was going to do Moose Jaws, which is just Jaws with a moose. My understanding is that the walrus character would return for Moose Jaws. <laughs> yes. And play a role. I remember him during a Q&A saying that just as long as walrus character would return and battle the the moose for moose shots. And I'm I'm down for it if they ever get around to making that. <laughs> I would listen. That's the type of fucking bat shit that I'm I'm so in. If yeah. <laughs> if I see a trailer and that trailer opens with "We need a hero" and it's just Justin Long in the fucking walrus costume, I'm gonna be like, yes. <laughs> so i hope that gets made one day because i really need to see that movie right he keeps saying it's gonna happen but then he keeps doing a bunch of other yeah, shit he's doing another so. jay and bob movie now so right and this is this is kind of my problem like this is one of the reasons i love this movie is because this is a this is a a big swing this is just oh, yeah. this is fucked this up is and i have to make it because it's so fucked up yeah. And I'm the only person that can make it because we came up with it on my podcast mm-hmm. situation. And I was all aboard because it was before this movie. He was done. He said he was done directing. He was just going to podcast and do his um, sort of uh, speaking engagements, you know, his stand up yeah. stuff, whatever you want to call it. And so this was literally just like, well, I mean, I have to make this movie. I mean, come on. And so I was on board for a second half of Kevin Smith's career where he's just like, I want to make really weird fucked up movies now. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's just go balls to the wall. The weirdest fucked up shit you can think of fucking guy gets turned into a walrus. There's 
Bratsy's living under a convenience store. Let's fucking go. And unfortunately, he made like two of them. And then I feel like he got bad reviews and he gets scared. And he's like, I'm going to do another Jay and Bob movie. And then like runs back to like that stuff, which is kind of a bummer because I want more weird fucked up shit. See, I'm I'm of two minds of it because I really enjoy when he goes back. Like I I rewatched Clerks 3 the other day. And I'm like, I liked it so much more on a rewatch than I did on the first time. Um, I really like Jane Bob reboot. Um, so I, I, I really want to see Moose Jaws as well. I'd love to see more stuff like this, but I just don't yeah. know. I also don't know how many fucked up ideas you can have before you start. Like, like, I, I, where do you go from here? If they, you know, I mean, maybe. Well, where you go from here is Moose Jaws, baby. That's all I'm no, saying, dude. At least complete that trilogy and then move back on to Jane yeah. Bob if you want. But I need that Moose Jaws. Yeah. So I, I'm all for that. I'm all like I'm all for his hockey movie that he wants to make. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. I don't think he's close to dead yet. I think it's entirely possible that we could just still uh, <laughs> continue to get Kevin Smith movies for a long time. I would. I would love to see more stuff like Tusk though. This movie to me is just. It's so unique. And it's just, it's, again, I I can't get over how much I love watching Michael Parks say these ridiculous things in that really, like, earnest manner. I, I can't. I could watch that all day. Like, even if you just made short films, which were just him, like, saying weird shit to Justin Long over and over and over again, I'd watch them all. <laughs> it's so good. And I just, I, 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 I don't know. It's... I remember being worried the second time I watched this film, like did I really only like it that much because of the experience of going to, to TIFF and like watching the red carpet and all the whole shit. Right. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. I watch it again. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's amazing. It's just amazing. The, the fact that somebody did this shit, the fact that name actors who you've heard of, like, you know, we haven't even mentioned like Genesis Rodriguez is in this movie. And she's amazing in it. Like she just gives this really, really good performance, and we haven't brought it up because she's not a walrus, so who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> like you, they, you know what I mean? Like they have her giving like speeches and crying into camera and stuff, and it's really emotional and dramatic. And then you're like, yeah, all right, where's the walrus? <laughs> just who does she fight at the end of the movie? No one. Forget it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Haley Joel Osment, I think, is pretty good. Like we were talking earlier, it's kind of weird just to see him randomly pop in yeah. and stuff. But I feel like he fits his character well. He doesn't have to do a whole lot of no. He's, he's um, crazy. He stuff. has probably the least demanding character in the movie to play. Yeah, and yeah. he's fine. Like there's, he comes across as likable enough so that when the little twist happens that he's sleeping with Justin Long's girlfriend, you're like, all right. <laughs> Uh, Haley Joe Osmond does show up in Yoga Hosers as a different character now. If that, that helps, yeah. Well, that doesn't make yeah. any sense. You can't do a shared universe and swap characters. <laughs> well, they, he what grows, is this, Demons 2? Listen, he grows a beard and speaks with a bad French accent, so I don't understand why he, he can't be a different person. <laughs> and he plays an actual Nazi in that as opposed to a Nazi. So... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot Haley Joel Osment plays a Nazi in <laughs> right uh, yeah, I don't know there's just something like I've had friends that have seen this movie who were not podcast listeners right. who absolutely hated it and I'm just like 
I don't get that. I, I don't know, man. Like, I love it. I, I just love the weird, as I think Noah's put a good, put a good label on it, the good body horror aspect yeah. of it. It's just the weird, fucked up, and again, under. I feel like underappreciated Michael Parks up until this point. Yeah. Like, we'd see him and stuff, and he'd be fine. And then I feel like he, if you watch these two movies... It's just like, oh shit, he's amazing. Absolutely. Why, why didn't there's, we? There's also put him in more stuff. There's also a thing of as a person who liked Human Centipede, it, not liking this movie seems impossible. I don't. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, like disingenuous, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I mean, if, if, I mean, I guess people who only watch rom coms probably shouldn't try this one, but I don't like. If you see a movie called Tusk and it's you just see the movie poster for it. Uh, I don't know how you don't end up enjoying the film. Like, it's just so weird. I know there are people like more normie audiences or non-horror fans who are really upset about the body horror in this movie. Like, they find it very disturbing. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally reasonable. I understand that. But that is kind of the point of it. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not designed when a guy, like when the guy wakes up with his leg cut off and he's very obviously being lied to about spiders, like you're not supposed to, like you're not necessarily supposed to laugh. You're supposed to be disturbed by that. And hmm. pe- people like us are so fucked up that we laugh at it, but you know, normal human beings are upset and that's okay. That's what the movie's doing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I love this movie. Yeah. It's, I haven't watched it very much, but I, I think, uh, I think it's probably good on my part is not to watch it a ton. Cause I don't want to burn myself out on it. I don't know. It's. I don't know that you can. You've said you watch it like twenty times. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, I mean, it's the movie's ten years old now. That's only a couple times a year, yeah. and you got to figure that first year I probably watched it five times. So after you, uh, you showed Lando, you're like, you don't go to bed on time. This is what happens. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, oh no! I have not shown this movie to my seven year old. No. I, uh, I, no. There you go. That's who I don't recommend it for. People under the age of like ten. <laughs> Uh, do we have any other, anything else to add? I feel like we haven't said enough, but I mean, great body horror, amazing atmosphere, especially when it's uh, Justin Long and Michael Parks alone in that house for so long. All of that mm-hmm. stuff is so good. I think maybe it's made better by the fact that everything that happens outside of that house is so kind of wacky and fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. The flashback scenes are, for some reason, very entertaining to me. There's three flashback scenes in the movie. One is to him killing and eating a walrus. That's his friend. One is to him meeting Ernest Hemingway. And one is to the Michael Parks character meeting the Johnny Depp character. And he pretends to be mentally handicapped so that Johnny Depp will leave him alone. Um, All great to watch. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, I don't know. Just fantastic movie. Just just love it. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, what have we watched since the last episode? 
things. Uh, not much in the way of movies, but I did get all the way through What If. Oh, yeah. Which is good. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, my my biggest complaint of What If is that the promise of that show is to show you a lot of unique, different characters that are different versions and blah, blah, blah. And uh, this season, they sure as fuck gave Peggy Carter <laughs> like four out of ten episodes. <laughs> Which kind of defeats the fucking purpose. And don't get me wrong, Captain Carter's a good character. I wish they would put her in live action, but I don't know. That's my only complaint. Besides that, it was good. I kind of like the weird, happy Hogan purple Hulk thing that they did. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's that uh, like a, a take on Die Hard, kind of. <laughs> He's like yeah. trapped in there. Apparently that's a take on the freak. Just something he turned into in the comics before? I don't know. Hmm. I was going to say that sounds familiar, but isn't. I thought the freak was something else. I don't know. That's just a video I watched talked about it. And I was like, oh, okay. Maybe. Because I, th- I, I thought the freak was like spiky, like doomsday. I don't know. Don't know. Uh, I did like that they just completely ripped off Die Hard, though. Yes. They just yeah, didn't even per- try to hide it, was, it. Yeah, it was pretty delightful. Yeah. Uh, it was, well, it was nice them bringing back uh, Justin Hammer too. I oh, yeah, I yeah. feel like he was kind of a waste. Like they really should have Iron Man three and shit should have been just Justin Hammer coming back over and over and over again. Kind of not not necessarily as the the main antagonist of the film, but kind of the guy behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, there's rumors they're getting trying to get him down. Get him back for Armor Wars. He might be one of the main people behind that. Uh, yeah, I think he was at one point supposed to be in like one of the bad guys, one of the side bad guys in Ant Man Two, and didn't work out because of scheduling or whatever. Huh. Yeah. So I I agree. I think we I think we can all agree that it'd be neat to have Justin Hammer as just a background character, a background villain throughout the MCU. It'd be fun. Well, plus he's just uh, God damn it! What's the actor's name? Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell's such a fucking beast. He's so great in everything. Yeah, yeah. He's got a movie called Argyle, which is the new Matthew Vaughn movie, which I'm really excited to see. Uh, so then, besides that, I was going to watch. Isn't Echo supposed to drop today? Yeah, I sat down to watch it while I had dinner. And it was just and the trailer. It wasn't up yet. Yeah, yeah it wasn't up yet. Okay, so so it's not just me. I, w- I was a little frustrated with that. I was like, what the fuck? I thought it was supposed yeah. to be out. Uh, so it didn't watch any of that. I did start watching. So, you know, Disney put out a series of Percy Jackson and the Olympians mm-hmm. in yeah. which there's been a couple attempts at making movies out of that book series that have not gone well because the people making the movies apparently never read the fucking books. Uh, but the TV show's pretty good. It's it's pretty solid so far. Hmm. You never got into any of those. No. It is it is very much Harry Potter, but instead of you're a wizard Harry, it's you're a demigod Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Um I will say I've seen about five minutes of that and the special effects and stuff look really good. So the the T V show? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it looks really good. 
and there's some solid acting performances and for it being a, like a Disney plus show, they're kind of letting it be because the books are like, the books aren't like grim dark or anything like that, but they are dark in a very specific sad way. I mean, they're about a child who thinks his father abandoned him and everyone thinks he's crazy his entire life. And then he finds out that he's not. But then it turns out that also means that everyone in his fucking life has been lying to him for his entire life. Uh, All episodes of Echo are now currently up. Mm. There are uh, five of them. So is that all of them? That's it. Okay. Again, I would rather, I would rather them just do a fucking movie. I, I don't know. The trailer looks good. The, the trailer looks violent, which I'm kind of yeah. uh, surprised. I'm, I'm yeah. hearing rumors that that it is quite violent, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, supposedly, it also confirms that the Netflix Daredevil is canon, which they've never uh, fully admitted to yet. Well, I know they were saying they weren't doing that; that it was going to be like pseudo canon. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, well, this is an alternate universe where it kind of happened like that. But I think maybe they learned their lesson whenever they had to uh, restart that entire fucking series after filming six episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Because it turns... much hope open this series either, which is why they dumped it all at once. I just don't get it. You find something and you find, like, the perfect way to do it and people fucking love it. And you go, yeah, but what if we just change that? I just don't get it. Season season one Daredevil is fucking amazing. Season two Daredevil, fucking amazing. Season three, a little less amazing. But that's post-Defenders and the kind of the, there was the tone shift and they had to fucking th- put Electra all over the place and Electra is the death of Daredevil. Well, I feel like it just, it's the typical... Um, movie studio bullshit which is that kevin feige wasn't involved with all the netflix stuff so they were still splitting the tv stuff and the movie stuff so i feel like it's just another one of those like yeah but that wasn't mine so now i gotta put my fingerprints all over everything by changing shit even if people don't want stuff to be changed which is annoying yeah i don't know i'm still looking for i just want one of these because i i i can honestly say this nothing nothing Disney plus has put out has been as good as episode two of season one of the Marvel daredevil Netflix series. Yeah. Nothing like hard to argue with that. Cause I remember the rush, the, that fucking hallway fight scene. I was like, Holy shit. They were going to completely change the way Marvel is doing things. And instead Marvel was like, no cartoons. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, well, that didn't go the direction I thought I was going to. Well, I don't know why you thought something being good would cause him to make more things like that. Well, it wasn't just that it was good. It's that it was good and popular. Because, like, everyone was fucking talking about that the next day. It's Hollywood. What would make you think that because something's good and popular, they would do more of it? I, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> I look at it like things like The Simpsons and The Office. They're good. They're popular. Let's make 95 seasons of the same thing. Yeah. But I don't. for some reason, whenever it's something that I love, I can't get that. No, it's other because it makes no sense. 
you're applying logic to an illogical environment. It's never going to, never going to work. Uh, and I think that's it. I don't recall watching anything else. Hmm. Still didn't see Iron Claw, huh? No, I haven't had time to go to a theater. You son of a bitch. I don't even know if you should, because based on your reaction to other things lately, just... Well, like I said, I I am very I am very reticent to go see it because I once again I know how that story ends. It's the same reason why I didn't go see fucking Oppenheimer. I've read history books. I don't need a fucking movie to tell me what happens. What'd you watch, Doug? Uh, I don't. I did not watch any movies since the last time we talked. <laughs> okay. I finished up Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah. So- it was so good. Real good. Um, I will say they managed, like, so there's the whole th- the whole storyline of them. I guess spoiler alert, like selling out to the devil or to death or whatever she represents mm. to have all their success in life. Um, I naively believed that all of their children dying was going to be a unexpected consequence of that when the reveal came that they had made the deal for all of their children and grandchildren to die as a result of their success. And I'm like, Oh, that's so much darker than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Like it just didn't occur to me that they would actually like sign off and go, yes, I want to be rich knowing full well that around the time when I, I will live to my natural end of life and when the time comes, not only will I die through my natural causes, but also all of my children will suffer and die and grandchildren and anyone else in my quote unquote bloodline. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's fucking horrible. <laughs> like yeah, there's some weird, there's some weird inconsistencies with the, uh, the devil slash death character too, that I don't, I don't know. I don't quite understand. Uh, I'm sure you're right. Wait, can you be more specific? Well, like in so in the first few stories, she goes out of her way to offer the characters an out. Like, you know, you don't have to do this. You can you can walk away right now. She does it to like the party kid. She does it to the chick who breaks into the the monkey lab, you know, all that kind of shit. But then whenever it comes down to uh Raven, you know, the the granddaughter who actually is a good person and who would have made the correct decision. She doesn't give her an out and just gives her a peaceful death and, you know, it just kills her. And it's like, well, that's fucking weird. Why give the other ones an opportunity to get out? <laughs> like, uh, So the way I took that, and I'm not sure if it's correct or not, but my, my feeling was that the ones who were going to make the wrong choice were given an option. And the ones that were going to make the right choice were not. Like it's it's an extra layer of cruelty on the fact that the people who are you know greedy would be the ones that would be the one that would be making the decision to kill themselves, basically. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, I think I kind of fell in the same spot, but it was, I don't know. It just felt weirdly, and maybe it's just because that actress's performances are so good. Of the fact that she actually, it it seems like she feels bad about what she's doing. Until the very end, and then she's kind of like, nah, I'm into this. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird shift. Because part of me, too, is like, does that kind of go along with the... 
it's a correlation between them and the her and the and the family, where the family is like knowing they're doing these terrible things, but keep justifying it. And you get that speech from this the sister character who is like, "Yeah, okay, we made these addictive products and put them out there, but we're not making people buy them and all that kind of shit." So it's almost like she's mimicking their attitudes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That she's just a reflection. Yeah. Um, I, I also think I would be able to discuss this more if I watched it in a better way. I probably shouldn't have broken it up over as long a time period and probably shouldn't have watched it over the holidays, you know, when there was so much else going on. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, the dad, is fantastic throughout this entire series. Yeah. What's even more impressive is the fact that he was a replacement. Yeah, I'd blown away knowing that in my brain, going, like, how? how? <laughs> right. Like, thank God he they had to replace him with this, because whoever else was going to be doing it... I was going to say, who was the original? Frank Langella. Apparently he uh, he of Skeletor fame. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He apparently was doing some inappropriate stuff on set, and so he got booted, and they brought Bruce Greenwood in, because he'd worked with him before, and so they had to refilm some of the stuff, but otherwise, yeah, it's, his performance yeah. is great. I'm not... Th- I, I don't know. I'm doubly upset about hearing that about Frank Logilla because well, that dude's like Crypt Keeper, old man. I think the thing about that is I think he was doing what he considered acting and in the modern era. He was doing Method where he's that character all the time? No, I don't know if it's that. I think it's more from what I heard. And, and I, obviously I wasn't on set and yeah. all this stuff, in my opinion, one of the problems when these situations come up is that they don't give you enough information to formulate your own opinion. But I think that in certain scenes he was, you know, ad-libbing in a way that was making others uncomfortable and he's going oh, well, that, that's all part of it like that's like you know what i mean like if and there was too much from his perspective it's like well we're, this is just acting and from their perspective we're like yeah not in 2023 when you're behaving or you have to behave appropriately around other people and they're like nah he's like nah like you don't like that's it loses authenticity when that happens and it's like well you know yeah. Some, sometimes old people just need to go away because the world changes around them and they're not prepared to change with it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I really liked Mark Hamill's performance. Oh, yeah. I thought he was fantastic. You know, I didn't notice it was him for like the first two episodes. Like, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait, like it's Mark Hamill, but he's just doing such a good job that I didn't really notice. Yeah. Because he looks a little different yeah. than he normally does with like the, the really short hair and the goatee and he's kind of hunched over and playing this like older character and he's doing a voice which we all know he can do voices but i've never heard him do this one before um yeah like it's he's really fantastic he has some great moments too of like uh he sort of plays the comic relief a little bit in a, in a few scenes and he does a great job of it like delivering these like it's the same sort of thing we were saying with michael parks where he delivers these like absurd lines in a very serious way so it's not like a joke it's all more like just Wait a minute! Did he just really say that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, but really, he's he's really great in the in it, and, and I really think the world suffered from Mark Hamill um, not getting enough good acting roles because he apparently, given the opportunity, he can do it right. Yeah, 
But yeah, overall, I thought it was great. I'd love to rewatch it. I don't know if I ever will because it's like nine hours of television. Who, who knows <laughs> if I'll ever have nine hours to dedicate back to this? Yeah. What else did you watch, Doug? That is literally all I watched. I watched like the first three what ifs, but we've already talked about them. Yeah. Uh, I watched a couple movies. I watched one called Greta from 2018. It's got uh, Chloe Grace Moretz in it. Yeah. She plays a young girl who finds a purse that seems to be lost on the subway. So she returns it to the owner, and it's like some older. Um, don't remember what country she's supposed to be from. Um, some older, like German esque lady, whatever. Um, who then tells her, you know, like these stories, but oh, I'm all by myself. My husband passed away. I have a daughter, but I, we don't, I don't really talk to her and stuff. And then they end up striking up a friendship. And then quickly, Chloe Grace Moretz realizes, oh, this old lady is crazy. And then, uh, Tries to like cut off communication with her, but then the lady keeps showing up like where she works and all this other craziness and finds out she actually is crazy. Um, the movie's decent. The first half, I kind of hated everybody in it. I'm like, all these people are dumb. I hate all these people. Uh, cause they're all just making stupid decisions. Like, you know, going places they're not supposed to be and just, you know, just being really stupid with their, decision-making skills. But then when like the uh, sort of the horror aspect starts creeping in, it gets pretty good. And I enjoyed it from that point forward, but it takes a little, little bit to get there. Um, and then I went and saw night swim. Okay. Uh, the movie is okay. All right. <laughs> I feel like it's just, it's a very modern take on stuff that we been seeing for the past 10 years that's kind of um what i was anticipating from it yeah i like white russell so i kind of wanted to see it and i feel like the idea of a swimming pool at night is like that's kind of an automatic like creepy atmosphere um but then like how do you sustain that over an hour and a half long movie yeah um and you know they find some ways to make it work and stuff but um yeah i don't know it's just all right. Um, I told somebody afterwards there's a uh, better version of this movie called Burnt Offerings. If you're familiar with that movie um, from the 70s starring Karen Black. Uh, so maybe watch that movie instead. But yeah. I'm you know. trying to remember Burnt Offerings now. I'm reasonably confident I've seen it. Karen Black and Oliver Reed and their son, they go essentially rent a house from Burgess Meredith for the summer. And the only uh, sort of caveat is that uh, Burgess Meredith's mother is living in the house. We did this. We did this on the old podcast. I think they have to give her dinner or whatever every night as part of the the low rent payment. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a better version. Watch that movie. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, next week, I feel like we need to do some uh, um, ghost uh, slash psychic something. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I didn't put them on the <laughs> list. No, I didn't it's put them on the, the list. list. No. Uh, but uh, no, I didn't put them on the list. But 
I saw The Gift and Stir of Echoes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I would like to rewatch those. All right. Um, so I don't know what the uh, uh, unifying thing is other than I like both those movies and would like to watch them. They both have ghosts. And, and yeah, I feel like... Psychic connections doing the investigation. Yeah. Isn't isn't The Gift the one that I just watched with my wife like yep. a few weeks ago? Yes, so you don't have That's, to watch that one. Sweet. Yes, he does. <laughs> That's how sure. it ended up on the list was Noah talking about it and me going, oh, we should team that up with something. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. You're already ahead, Noah. So we just have to watch Stir of Echoes, which I think is a very underrated 90s. Actually, I think I just watched Stir of Echoes not too long ago. You might be all set. Who knows? Just say you watched them so Doug will be happy. Oh, that uh, it's that got, Kevin, it's got Kevin Bacon in it. Yeah. Good old Kevin Bacon. Yeah. I really I, like that movie. So. I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I really like it. Yeah. And the excuse to rewatch it is a good one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that one next week. All right. That's going to be a fun, fun week. Yeah. Sam Raimi and uh, was it David Kep that did Star of Echoes? I'm not sure. It's literally right here, right next to me. Let's find out. The old DVD with the see-through slip cover on it is David <laughs> Kep. Yeah. It's a, it's a really well-made film, so I should know the director, but... Yeah. Well, he's uh, mainly a writer. Uh, I'm really looking, direct a few things. looking forward to watching these, because it's like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to watch two movies I like next week again, so... Mm. But four movies in a row that I like, which is a pretty huge accomplishment for this podcast. <laughs> but anything else we're going to be able to talk about, uh, I think what me and you have talked about was um, The Gift, which was like, oh, Keanu Reeves is a good actor. And yeah. Sort of realizing that for the first time. But what'd your wife think of uh, the gift, Noah? I don't remember. Uh, she liked it. Mm-hmm. Kind of, she... kind of, kind of shocking for there being a few things in it that normally she would not be into. But yeah, but if they were real enough, maybe she tricked herself into thinking it was a documentary and therefore could enjoy it. Well, she also <laughs> likes, in in addition to real life stuff, she likes supernatural stuff. So she was into the whole psychic okay. ghost. Yeah. Oh, okay. Stuff. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be uh, humming uh, Paint of Black for a couple of weeks after we watch Stir of Echoes. Sure. Um, I think you'll just be walking around going, man, for being such a notoriously nice guy, Keanu Reeves plays a really fucking bad, bad guy. <laughs> He's not. It's, it's, it's in a movie called The Watcher where he played a serial killer. I remember. And being pretty good in that. Played a in the Devil's Advocate. He played like a lawyer who gets like pedophiles off and stuff. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Does anybody have a clever way to wrap the show up? Um, we already talked about the weather, so we can't go back to that. Um, no, I don't think we got anything. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't say we had to be clever this week. So, damn. Lost, I lost all my energy to red state. I just can't muster. <laughs> it brought me, it brought me way down. It brought my whole week down. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. 
Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.